Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, I want to give a special thanks to the praise team for leading us in that time of worship here today. There's something so good about worshiping together and just preparing the way for God's Word. And I love that last song where we talked about the faithfulness of God. In fact, Much of what we're talking about today is dealing with the faithfulness of God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He never goes back on his word. And so we can be thankful for the faithfulness of God. It reminds me of a a story that I'd heard of an elderly man. He uh, was very, very hard of hearing. In fact, most of his hearing was gone. And it was really a struggle for him and it was a struggle for his entire family. It really caused a lot of irritation for the family because he couldn't hear anything. Well, he went to the doctor and the doctor fitted in with a new kind of a hearing aid. And this new hearing aid just made his hearing at 100%. He could hear everything. About a month later, he went back in for a checkup and he, the doctor said, you must be so happy. Uh, and your family must be so happy that you can finally hear again. He said, well, I am very happy, kind of. I haven't actually told my family that I got these hearing aids. And uh, all I have done for the past month is uh, listen to all of the conversations. And I've actually changed my will three times because of what I have heard over the past month. Thankfully, we do not have a God like that. He keeps his word. He keeps his promises. He does not change. Well, last week in our Easter services, I had someone come up to me afterward and ask me the question of why exactly did Jesus have to die? Why do we need Jesus? And it was a question that I was wrestling with uh, because I think it's something that everyone has. It's a question that everybody wants to know. Why exactly do we need Jesus? So I wanted today, instead of getting back into the in-game series and wrapping that up, it's going to take a couple of weeks to do that, I wanted to do a follow-up to our Easter message. And the follow-up is this, why do we need Jesus? We want to look at what God's Word says. The Bible, we consider this the truth of God's word. This is truth. I'm hearing more and more these days people sharing this idea that they have what they call their truth. In fact, I was reading an article of a famous person talking about whatever their going through or whatever decisions that they've made, and they talk about and they say, well, this is my truth. That's not really truth. That is my opinion. That is my story. It's what I would like it to be. It's what I hope it will be, but that's not what truth is. Truth is found and rooted in God's word. We have talked about one of the end time signs will be a sign of deception. Deception will grow greatly. In fact, what deception will be is you will be tempted to pull up the anchor from God's truth and to float on the winds of opinion, to float on the waves of what is popular. That's called my truth, but that's not really truth. Truth is found in God's word. 
The Bible is an amazing book. It is a collection of 66 different books. There are 39 Old Testament books. There are 27 New Testament books. It was written over a span of 1,500 years. 40 different authors written on three continents with three different languages. Despite all of that, there is a consistent theme that runs as a thread throughout all of the Bible. The consistent theme is the story of sin, separation from God, and God's bringing us back into redemption and restoration with him. His restoring of a relationship that was lost in the fall. And that is what the Bible really covers from one end to the other is the story of God's bringing us back, the story of redemption. It's a book that has been published in more languages and read more than, by more people than any other book written throughout the course of history. There's something amazing about the word of God, and as a believer in God, this becomes truth. It becomes the foundation that I build my life upon. So today, I want to look at the truth of God's word. Mark Twain once said this about God's word. He talked about the truth of God's word. And Mark Twain said this, most people are bothered by those passages in scripture which they cannot understand. But as for me, I'm, I've always noticed that the passages in scripture which trouble me the most are the ones in which I do understand. The things that I understand requires a response. Will I believe it is the truth, and will I build my life upon the truth? I can't come up with my own truth, my own opinion, and my own ideas, and someday stand before God and say, well, this is my idea, this was my plan. I think that will be a scary conversation to have. You either believe God's word, you believe the truth of God's word, or you choose to deny God's word. There is no middle ground, there is no my truth that I can walk in. Well, today I want to look at why exactly do we need Jesus? One of the ideas of needing Jesus is the concept and the idea of needing to be redeemed and restored from sin. It is the called the born-again experience. In fact, the born-again experience is talked about by Jesus himself in a conversation that he had in the beginning of the Gospel of John with a person named Nicodemus. And here's what it says in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And we're going to look at this, and then we're going to get into six points of the Gospel. Let's look at this. It says this. <clears throat> now there was a man. He was a Pharisee. Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, but this was beyond just a religious leader. This was the leader. This was the ruler, the ruler or a ruler of the Jewish people, Nicodemus. He came to Jesus. He came to Yeshua. If you've not ever heard that name Yeshua before, that is the Hebrew name for Jesus. It's the literal name of Jesus, the name Yeshua. It means salvation. He came to Jesus, he came to Yeshua at night and said, Rabbi, we know you, that you, a teacher, have come from God. How do we know that he, you've come from God? Well, no one can perform the signs which you're doing unless God is with him. So right away you have somebody acknowledging, saying, there's something amazing about you, incredible about you. There's something that you're doing that we would not even understand or fathom. You have to be from God. 
Jesus, Yeshua, answered him, Amen, amen. I tell you, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus said to him. He cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? Well, Jesus, Yeshua, answered, Amen, amen. Truly, truly, absolutely, I tell you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Let's pray as we begin. Father, I want to thank you for what we've already done so far in this service, the time of worshiping you through song. Uh, what a wonderful time to be able to draw near to you. We have worshiped you with the raising of our voices, and now, Lord, help us to worship you by the study of your word, by the listening with our ears and being in tune with you by our spirits to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. I pray for those today, Lord who are wrestling with the idea of why did Jesus come, who are wrestling with the idea of what it means to be saved, I pray for those today who have never experienced the salvation that you offer. They have never received the gift that you have poured out to them. And I pray, Lord, for those that are listening here in person, those that are watching online, that today would be the day where salvation comes to them. Help us, Lord, to hear from you. Help us to understand your truth as it applies, Lord, to our lives here today. Be with us by the power of your Holy Spirit, and we will give you all praise because you are the one who deserves our praise. We thank you for this time. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so Jesus tells Nicodemus this idea. And he says to Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Nicodemus is confused. I'm already alive. What do you mean I need to be born again? Jesus is referring to something deeper and more profound than Nicodemus could possibly understand at that moment. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God had warned Adam and said to him, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which you all know, but they did not die that day. Physically, they would live on for several hundred years from that moment. They did not die. So, God, are you lying? Are you telling us something that is false? You said they would die, but they did not die. Except they did die in a way. They did not die physically, they died spiritually in the moment that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Spiritual death was therefore going to be separation from God. No longer would God be in their presence, no longer would they have a relationship with God, no longer would they be in the perfection that God had created, now they would be removed from God from that point on. They were spiritually dead. Though physically alive, they are spiritually dead. The world is full of people like that. Physically alive, but spiritually dead. We have no relationship with God. We have no closeness with God. We are walking around essentially as zombies. We are physically alive, but spiritually we are dead. Jesus comes to him and says, you need to be born again. Not physically, you don't need to crawl back in the mother's womb and be born again of water, of amniotic fluid. You need to be born spiritually. 
You need to come to life spiritually. Because if we don't come to life spiritually, we will have no eternity with him. Instead, we will have an eternity of God's wrath, of God's destruction of hell. It's a scary thing to think about what eternity would be like without God. Every generation that is born from the time of Adam and Eve have been born with that contamination. We have been born essentially with a virus. We have been born spiritually dead, though physically alive. And he tells Nicodemus, you've got to become spiritually alive if you are going to be with me forever. Well, all of that brings us to the six main points of the gospel. And I want to do three things here today. The three, there's three purposes of why I want to share this with you today. Purpose number one of why I want to share with you the six main points of the gospel is to make sure you personally understand, whether you're here or someone that is watching, that you personally understand what it means to have a relationship with God, what it means to be born again. The second purpose I have behind this is that if you are going to share with other people the message of salvation, this is going to give you the roadmap of how you can share with people what it means to truly be saved. So I would encourage you to take notes over what I'm going to share, and I'm going to share a lot of scripture. It's going to be kind of like drinking out of a fire hydrant, so make sure you are listening and taking notes. And the third reason I want to share this with you is so that we will have a video that you could actually point people to and say, watch this and understand what it means to truly be saved. So let's talk about the six main points of the, of the gospel. And point number one is this, the fact of sin. The fact of sin. The fact of sin is that we are separated from God. Because of the sin that happened in the Garden of Eden, because of sin that passes down from generation to generation, we are separated from God because of the fact of sin. Now, I want you to picture in your mind that you are standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. Some of you have actually been there. You have gone and seen the Grand Canyon. Maybe you've flown over the Grand Canyon. At least you've seen pictures of the Grand Canyon. And I want you to picture in your mind that you're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you are looking across a massive, uh, a, a massive distance and space to the other side. Evil Knievel tried to jump it, or did actually jump it, on a, on a, on a small scale, but this is a massive thing. It's a massive distance that you have to traverse. And the truth of the matter is you can't possibly get across it. It is un, uh, uh, unimaginable how, how far this is that you can't possibly get across to the other side. And so you're standing here at the cliff and you're looking across it and you see the other side and you can't reach the other side. And I want you to picture in your mind that that is the relationship that people have with God. They're standing on one side of the cliff and they cannot reach the other side. There's no possible way to the other side. On one side, you have God. God is holy, God is righteous, God is perfect. And on the other side, you have us. And we're not perfect and we're not righteous and we're not holy and there is a problem that is occurring and it's because of the fact of sin. In Romans chapter three, verse 10, it says this. As it is written... There is no one righteous, 
No, not one. Where is that written exactly? Well, one of the places that it's written is in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20 says this. Surely there is not a righteous person on earth who does what is good and doesn't sin. In the book of Isaiah, written 700 years before the time of Jesus, in Isaiah 64 verse 6, he says this. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Let me share something with you, and I'm not going to go into detail about this because my wife would kill me if I went into detail about this. This word, filthy, in the original Hebrew language is the word for minstrel. They are to God like minstrel rags. Now, I don't want to go into any further detail on that, but that's how God looks at our righteousness. We stand on one side of a cliff. God is on the other side, and we stand in unrighteousness. When he looks at us, he says, even though you try to be righteous, you're not. You are overwhelmed by sin. You are covered in sin. You are... You are full of sin. Our best efforts, our best trying, our best attempts can never get us to God. They can never clean us up. We can never be righteous. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are on one side. God is on the other. We can't get to him. We are fallen short. In our sin, in our unrighteousness, in our mess, God is on the other side in his perfection and in his holiness, and we have absolutely no hope. Paul says in Galatians 3.10, okay, well, here's how you try to make yourself righteous. He says, for all who rely on the deeds of the law are under a curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not keep and do everything written in the scroll of the law. So think about what the law is. Think about the summary of the law, which is given in the Ten Commandments. That's the summary page of what the law is. In the Ten Commandments, think of some of the commandments in your mind. What do they say? You shall have no other gods before him. You shall not create an idol. You shall not, uh, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You shall uh, keep the Sabbath day holy. You shall not lie. You shall not steal. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Uh, you shall uh, honor your father and mother. Things like that, that is the summary page. Paul says, look, if you want to be righteous, keep the law. Do it all. Keep all of the list of commandments. Imperfection. Do it perfectly. James 2.10 says this. For whoever keeps the whole law, but stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. In other words, if you have broken one of the laws, you're guilty of all of them. Have you broken any of the laws of God? Have you broken any of the Ten Commandments? Let's take some simple ones. Have you ever lied? Told a lie in any way, even a small little lie, a white lie, a lie in some manner. Have you ever lied? If you have lied, what does that make you? Makes you a liar. You're a liar if you have lied. If you have lied according to what James says, you are now guilty of all of it. You've messed it. You've messed up. You've done it. 
you're guilty of it all. Have you ever stolen anything? Little thing. Didn't have to be much. Piece of candy. When you think back when you were a kid, did you ever steal anything as a kid? As an adult, you work in an office place. Have you ever stolen from the office place? Taken home even a paper clip? Doesn't belong to you, belongs to them. But you took it, they'll never need it, they'll never miss it. They'll never miss that roll of duct tape, they'll never need that. They'll never miss that yellow sticky pad notes, I'm gonna take that. If you've ever stolen anything, what does that make us? It makes us a thief. So now we're a liar and we're a thief. Have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Have you ever used God's name in a way that is dishonoring to him? Have you ever put God's above him? Have you ever put yourself above God? The whole idea of my truth versus God's truth is really doing that. I'm putting myself and elevating myself above God. Jesus puts the idea of murder along with the same definition of just being angry. Have you ever been angry? Any angry people in here? If you are angry, Jesus would say, okay, well, you're also guilty of murder because you wanted to murder that person in your heart. Adultery. Jesus puts adultery on the level of lust. Have you ever lusted? If you have broken a law, any time in your life, you are guilty of all of it. And that is the fact of sin. And that sin is enough to separate us from God on one side of the Grand Canyon and he is on the other side for all eternity. That's the fact of sin. Now we have, number two, the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? Well, the penalty of sin is this. If I am standing on one side in my unrighteousness, in my unholiness, in my sin, and God is on the other side in perfection and holiness, what is the ramifications? What are the consequences of the sin of my life? What have I earned because of my sin? Romans 5.12 says this. So then just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, in the same way death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 6, 23, for sin's payment is death, but God's gracious gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ezekiel 18, 20, in the Old Testament it says, the soul that sins will die. The son will not bear the iniquity of the father with him, nor will the father bear the iniquity of the son with him. The righteousness of the righteous will be on him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be on him. What does that mean? It means your parents can't pay the price for you. It means that you're responsible for you. I cannot be responsible for my kids. My kids have to make their own decision. I pray for them. I teach them, I talk to them, I share with them, I want them to know the Lord, but I can't make the decision for them. They have to make the decision for themselves. What is the consequence of sin? Well, the common theme in all of those verses is this, it's death. Death is the consequence of sin. If you have broken one law, if you have lied in one small way, you are deserving of death. That's the penalty. 
And that is the consequence of sin. Number three, the penalty of sin must be paid. It has to be paid. God keeps his word. God does not change. God has said it will be, and it will be. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this, judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, of Messiah, so that each one may receive what is due for the things he did while in the body, whether good or bad. You see, we're all going to stand before God. And as we stand before God, broken the laws of God, in our sin, in our unrighteousness, we will have to give an account before God. Can you imagine standing before God, who has given us his word and said, this is my truth, and we say to him, well, nah, that's not my truth, though. I know it's your truth. It's not my truth. You see, it's not the way I think it should work out. I think you should just do it this way and follow this path and, and do this thing. Do you think God is going to say, well, okay, I didn't know that. Thank you for enlightening me. Or do you think God will say, uh-uh, I gave you one way. I gave you my word. I gave you my truth. I will hold you accountable to this. You will not negotiate you will not talk your way out of it. You will stand before God and there will be no excuses that mankind can give. We will all appear before him and give an account. Ecclesiastes 12:14 says this. God will bring every deed into judgment, including everything that is hidden, whether it is good or evil. We will stand before God. How are you feeling about that day? Going to stand before God, everything that I thought I could hide, everything that I thought was he would never know, it's all going to be brought out and exposed. Number four, the penalty was paid by Christ. We deserve the penalty. We have sinned against God. We stand on one side in unrighteousness and unholiness. We stand on one side in our sin. God is on the other side in holiness and in righteousness, in perfection. There is no way to get to him except for the fact that Jesus came. And Jesus said, I will pay the penalty that you deserve. What is the penalty we deserve? Death. We deserve to die. But Jesus said, I will take the penalty. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were stuck on one side of the cliff in unrighteousness, in unholiness, as sinners, Jesus, Messiah, Yeshua, died for us. 1 Peter 2, 24. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, so that we, removed from sins, might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you were healed. By his wounds. Jesus said, look, you deserve death. You deserve the penalty. You are the one in sin. You have, you have broken the laws of God. But I'll take it for you. No greater love 
has one, then he would lay down his life for another. He laid down his life so that we might have life. 1 Peter 3 says, For Messiah once suffered for sins also, the righteous for the one who is unrighteous. Jesus being righteous, uh, being full of righteousness, him being righteous took for, for me an unrighteous, unholy, ungodly, sinful person. He took all of my sins upon himself in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Jesus becomes the bridge that bridges the gap, the great chasm between myself and God. In God's holiness, in his righteousness, in his perfection, I have no way. I am unrighteous, unholy, but Jesus took the penalty and became the bridge that I can walk across to be with God. He took all of my unrighteousness and put it upon himself. But this was prophesied. Do you know that it was prophesied 700 years before Jesus even came on the scene? I mean, how is that possible? That it was written 700 years before Jesus even appeared. Isaiah 53 verses 5 and 6 but he was pierced. Why was he pierced? Because of our transgressions. He was crushed. Why? Because of my iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, by his scourging, by his wounding, by his hanging on the cross, by his death, I'm healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, so the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Number five, salvation is a free gift. It's a free gift. It can't be earned. It can't be purchased. It, it can't be achieved. And you can't come up with your own plan and say, well, this is my truth. It's God's way, it's God's plan, it's God's word, it's God's truth, it's God's purpose of redemption. There is no other way. You're not going to be able to stand before God and say, well, this is what I think it should be, or this is how I think it should happen. No, it's a gift that is given. Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not based on deeds so that no one may boast. It is God's gift to you. We stand on one side. We look across this great chasm. We realize I can't get across this. I don't know what I'm going to do. Jesus builds the bridge. I will die for you. I will take all of your unrighteousness on myself and I will pay the price that you deserve to pay so that you can, by trusting in me, walk across the bridge and be with God in righteousness for all eternity. Romans 3.24, they are set right. We are. You and I are set right as a gift of grace through the redemption that is in Messiah Jesus. 
Titus 3.5 says, Not by deeds of righteousness, which we had done ourselves, but because of his mercy, he saved us. Not because of what we can do, but because of what he has done. And John 3.16, probably the most familiar verse. If you've ever been to a sporting event, you've seen this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That all leads us to the sixth point of the gospel. And the sixth point of the gospel is this. You must accept. And that's what it all hinges on. I can give you the scripture. I can tell you that this is God's truth. It is God's word. We can look at historical evidence, archaeological evidence. We can look at uh, the evidence that is presented in the word of God, prophetic evidence, whatever it might be. Um, We can look at it as much as we want. It's knowledge. It gives us knowledge, but it's no good unless we take hold of it and we accept it. You may believe it, but never really accept it. It takes accepting God's gift to truly find life that he offers. The acceptance is what really matters. He paid the price. Will you accept it? It's like I shared last week. It's like a gift that is given, a gift that is presented. You have to accept it. You could say, no, thank you. I don't want it. I want nothing to do with it. I reject it. I didn't get you anything in return. Or you can say, thank you. I accept it. Revelation 3.20. Jesus says this. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. What is the door? It's a picture of the door of a person's heart. A picture of a door on a person's spirit. I stand at your door. I stand at your home. I stand there and I knock. On this door, if anyone hears my voice, and if anyone will open the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. You have to be willing to say, I will open the door. I will accept the gift that he is offering. John 1, 12, but whoever did not receive him, those trusting in his name to these, whoever whoever receives him, whoever trusts in his name, To these he gave the right to become children of God. 1 John 1, and the testimony is this, that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Jesus becomes the bridge. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. God offers a gift. Why do we need Jesus? Because we are stuck in sin. Why do we need Jesus? Because Jesus, because we deserve the consequences of our sin. Because there was a penalty associated with our sin. But Jesus paid the penalty, and it's a free gift that is offered. But we have to accept it. See, there's really two choices in life. There is heaven and hell. Heaven and hell. Heaven being with him for all eternity. In his righteousness, in his glory. When our sins are forgiven, when we walk across the bridge of Jesus, we have eternal life with him, believing in his name, believing in his purpose, believing in why he came. But there are many that will not. And there are many that are just content. 
Many that don't believe in a literal hell or many who think that hell is just going to be one big party. It's going to be a giant kegger in the sky. It's going to be wonderful. All of my friends are going to be there. There's going to be a DJ. There's going to be, you know, whatever kind of music is your favorite. It's going to be there. And it's going to be one big party of drugs, sex, and rock and roll. Do you know that that's not what the Bible talks about as hell? Here are some of the verses that talk about it. And I I don't want to go into all of these, but I want to give you a picture. Matthew 25, Jesus says it's, it's eternal punishment. Not temporary, eternal punishment. Revelation 21, we are consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. 2 Thessalonians, punished with everlasting destruction. Matthew 13, a blazing fire where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Acts 2 talks about as the realm of the dead. Mark 9, Jesus talks about the fact that the fire never goes out and the worm never dies. You know what it was literally, what they used as the reference in those days? It was called the Valley of Gehenna. And you know what Gehenna was? It was the garbage and trash heap that was outside of the city. It would be a place where they took all of the dead animals or people that died that could not afford to be buried in a tomb. It was a place where all of the, uh, of the refuge of the city was thrown. It was a disgusting place. It was the trash heap of society where you would have dead, decaying, and rotting flesh. And Jesus said, that's the picture of hell. The worm never dies. The fire never goes out. Because there's continually trash being thrown. The picture of hell is serious. Everyone will exist eternally in heaven or hell. Everyone has only one life to live in which they can make a decision for their eternal lives. Hell will be for the people who reject Christ for all eternity. It will be described as a conscious torment that will happen. It is eternal and it is irreversible. So why does any of this matter? Because Jesus has offered a way. He's offered a way of hope. He's offered a way of salvation. He has offered a way of escape through believing in his name. It is vitally important that we have received him. And it is vitally important that we are actively sharing that with others. Our family members, our friends, our acquaintances, people we run into because we don't want to see people suffer for all eternity. Have you made that decision? And are you sharing that with others? Are you praying for them? Are you praying that people get saved? Are you praying that they escape the condemnation that will happen? Are you sharing with every opportunity you have? Not because you're trying to to make God be okay with you, because you care about them, and you don't want to see them go through what the Bible describes. God's word is truth. God's word has given us hope. God's word has given us a way 
And the way is through Jesus. Have you accepted that way? Let's pray as we close. Father, I pray today for those in this room who realize that, you know, I am under the penalty of sin. I realize that I am full of sin. I I realize, Lord, that I am desperately in need of you. If I were to die today, I don't know what would happen. So I pray for those people, Lord, that are feeling that today, that this would be the day where they say, Jesus, please take my penalty for me. Accept the gift that you have offered and poured out to me. I accept the gift of love and grace and forgiveness. I accept the gift of you dying on that cross on my behalf. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive me and help me to have hope as I look forward. Lord, I pray for those who who said that prayer, who agreed with that prayer, that this would be the day where their lives are written their names are written in the Lamb's book of life that they can have hope, that they can have, uh, that they can have meaning and purpose belonging to you as they look forward in life. As the days draw near, Lord, as times feel like we're approaching an end, I pray that our hearts would be right with you. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for coming for us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day, and may God bless you.